We are going to um, go back to Philippians 3. And we're going to do a, a quick recap. And, and my intention is to uh, get through 12, 12 through 16 eventually, and hopefully get through that in time, time allotting. Uh, we do want to lay some side, time aside for <laughs> communion this evening, so got to remember that as well. So if you remember, we, last time we uh, were together, last time I was up here teaching, we went through the first section. We did a kind of a uh, Paul's, you know, planting of the church in Philippi and, uh, you know, the missionary journeys that he was on. And, and, and we kind of went through the first couple chapters just briefly as an overview to, kind of overview to try to get us to where we were starting in, in chapter 3, if you remember all that. You all remember that, all that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so when we got to chapter three, he started off. Paul started off with a warning. We need to pray one more time. Let's do that, Lord. We just ask you again one more time, Lord, that you would bless this evening together and bless the teaching of your word. And the, as always, Lord, your word's going to go out and it's going to accomplish what it was intended to do. And just pray, Lord, that it would land on each of our hearts and soften our hearts and bring us to a place to yield and and to be stirred and to to produce good fruit for you. So I just pray that and accomplish that tonight, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. So Paul started out in, uh, in chapter 3 where he, he gave them a warning. He, he said to beware of the dogs. You remember that? He said, beware of dogs. Beware of these evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. And it was quite typical that the, 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 the Judaizers would refer to the Gentiles as dogs. And we're talking, I remember the ravenous dogs, these type that are dangerous, that are out for destruction, and, and they're going to you know, hurt you or kill you. He's, he's um, Paul kind of turns that around from being you know, Gentiles that are talking, or Judaizers that refer to Gentiles as dogs, and he's saying, you beware of these dogs that are trying to you know, cause you destruction. Uh, these people that are taking and, and twisting the meaning of, of the gospel, all right? He says, beware of them, um, these evil workers. And he says, beware of the mutilation. And you remember there was a different, different in the word for mutilation. Of course, he's talking about um, this Christ plus. You have to, you know, this Jesus thing is okay, but you have to keep the law, right? And the mutilation would be, that part of that would be the circumcision, all right? Well, Paul uses the word circ or mutilation rather than circumcision, because he's basically what he's saying is that if you embrace what they're, what they're saying, that you have to keep the law, it's Jesus plus the law, this isn't a circumcision, this is a cutting off, all right? This is a castration. You're, you're going to be cut off from the fold of God, and that was the warning he was giving. And he said, for we are the, the circumcision who worship God in, in the spirit, rejoice with Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. So the Lord of the circumcision, if your heart has been circumcised, being separated from the world and being brought to Christ, all right? That's the circumcision Paul's talking about. And then he says, you have no confidence in the flesh, no confidence of what you could do. There's nothing, there's no works you can do. It's not Jesus plus. Don't have any confidence in your flesh. And by the way, if someone could, by the way, have confidence in the flesh, certainly it would be Paul, right? And he went on to say, though, I might also have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. 
So if anybody could, could boast in their own works, certainly it could be Paul. But Paul says, no, 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 it's not about that. It's, it's not Christ plus. Christ plus is mutilation. And in verse 7, then he says, but what things were gained to me, I have counted lost for Christ. Yes, indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So all these things, and you think Paul, Paul was an up and coming guy, right? He was going to Pharisee of Pharisees, you know, Hebrew of Hebrews, stock of Israel. He was, he was some, he was a mover and shaker. He was going places. The day he met Christ, all that went away. All that disappeared. As soon as he embraced Christ, he was cut off from that. And he said, but I, 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 I count this all as rubbish. It means nothing. These works of the flesh that I could have done, they, they mean nothing. I counted all as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom he has suffered the loss of all things, but he counts them as rubbish that he may gain Christ. These works of the flesh, all the things that he could have attained, the things he could have gained by staying where he was, he says, this is all rubbish concerning, you know, concerning the comparison between that and gaining Christ. Now, you have to think about Paul and, and where, uh, this could be like a, a dual meaning, I guess. You could think about Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road, right? 30 years, approximately probably about 30 years prior to this writing, somewhere along that line. That was, that was a cutoff point for him where he was going to, all these works that he could have attained to, his future all being cut off. But even so, I mean, now 30 years has gone by in his ministry. And you think about where Paul was at this point. I mean, he has gone through three missionary journeys, you know, across Asia Minor and into and Greece and, and through that area. And then he goes back to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. He appeals to Caesar. And now it was called his fourth missionary journey is now him, him being taken to Rome. And that's where he's writing this. We're, you think of all that Paul had done. He counts it all as loss. All his works, all the works that he had been through, he counts it as loss that he may gain Christ. You know, there, there was nothing that he could have done in his own flesh, his own works, that could have amounted to anything according to Paul. It was only that he may gain Christ in being in his will and doing his, his, you know, his works. So, Counts it as rubbish. In verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So Paul says he, he's, he's not going to be found in his own righteousness. That's, that's not a good thing. He's not going to find righteousness in the law. He's not going to find righteousness through his works of the flesh. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So he's seeking after God's righteousness. Now, if you flip over to Matthew 22 real quick, there's a parable that Jesus gives. Matthew 22. You guys may, may remember this parable. Verse 1, he says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables, and he said, The kingdom of heaven 
is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. And again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready, come to the wedding. And they made light of it, and they went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his own business. And the rest seized his, ser seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. So what are we talking about here? Who's the king? God the, God the Father. God the Father has arranged a, a marriage for his son, Jesus, right? And so he's, he's arranged this marriage for his son. He sends out his servants, the prophets, sent out his servants, the prophets, to call those who were invited. Who? Who said it? I heard someone say it. The Jews, Israel, yeah. So here's the situation that this is what Jesus is referring to in this parable. God the Father arranged a marriage for his son. He sent an invitation out through his servants, the prophets, to, the, to Israel. And Israel did what? Yeah. They made light of it. I'm busy, got my works going on, I got things to do. They went their own way. And eventually, what did they do to the, the prophets? They killed them. Which of the prophets have you not killed? So this is, this is the situation we have going here. So in verse 7, he says, But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burnt up their city. Destruction of, of Jerusalem. And then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. Who's getting invited now? The Gentiles. Yeah. So the Gentiles are getting invited to the wedding now. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And so he said to him, friend, how did you come here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he invites the Gentiles. And here we have this one particular man that's at the, at the wedding, comes to the wedding feast, but he's not wearing the right clothes, right? He doesn't have on a wedding garment, all right? So, so what is this referring to? Being clothed in Christ's righteousness. Yeah, so Paul says, I'm not, not being found in my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So we, we've looked at Ephesians chapter 4 before where, um, and we talked about this, Pastor Rick talked about this, I think, on this last Sunday, uh, about the, um, use the, the, the Lazarus and the rich man, right? He, the, the, the recount of that. Um, and, and, you know, eventually, you know the story, so I'll, I'll keep it short, but um, they both end up dying and, and, and uh, Lazarus goes into 
Abraham's bosom and the rich man goes into, you know, Sheol. And that's man mankind's common grave, right? That's where everybody went. Nobody went to heaven because they weren't dressed with the right clothes. They couldn't. You could not go because you weren't wearing a wedding garment. You weren't wearing the right clothing. So when it wasn't until Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, sent his Holy Spirit back, that we are now clothed in his righteousness, and we now have the ability when we die to go directly to heaven because we're wearing the right garments. We're wearing his righteousness. If we are in Christ, a caveat, if we're in Christ, we are clothed in his righteousness. And so it says, what does it say? He ascended on high, and then when he ascended on high, he gave gifts. He gave gifts to men. So in one of the gifts was his righteousness. We got salvation. We were clothed in his righteousness. So that's the only way we have access into heaven, is being clothed in his righteousness. Otherwise, the king, the father comes, and he says, no, you don't have the right garment on. You can't come in here. Uh, you can't stay at the wedding feast. And then he says, depart from me, right? And then there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the separation between those who are clothed in Christ's righteousness and those who are not clothed in righteous, his, his righteousness. So, yes, yeah, so in, in verse 9, he said, to be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So he wants to attain Christ's righteousness by faith so that he may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, conformed, if you're, there's, Paul uses these words, and he's going to use them again later, uh, which I don't think we'll get to tonight, but he uses these words conformed and transformed, and we see them used throughout, throughout the text, and, and one in particular you probably remember, I would imagine quite familiar with is Romans 12, Right, where he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that being conformed is basically what that word means, is to have your mind brought in line with somebody else's thinking. And then when your mind is brought into somebody else's thinking or a different way of thought, then your body will obtain that character. All right, so that's the character. When your mind is conformed, your character will follow, right? And this is the character you're going to have. So when, when Paul uses that in Romans, when he's saying don't be conformed to the world, he says don't start thinking about the world because your character is going to fall in line with the character of the world, right? And you don't want to do that. You don't want to be conformed to the world, but you want to be transformed. And in that word, when he, used trans, when he uses the word transform, it's the, the Greek word which, where we get the word metamorphosis, right? And so we're being transformed, we're being metamorphosed, which we all know is a complete 
change, right? I mean, the, what you now see, you know, outside of science, you would have never said, well, that came from this. It's like, no, that caterpillar did not turn into that butterfly, you know? But we know, you know, through observational science that yes, that's exactly what happened. The caterpillar spins the cocoon, the caterpillar dies, yeah, becomes goo, dies in the cocoon, and then goes through some transformation where it's resurrected from the dead and comes out a beautiful monarch butterfly, right? That's the kind of thing that God's trying to say he wants to be done. But here, he's saying we want to, he wants to be conformed to his death. So Paul wants his mind and his character to be conformed to the death of Christ so that his body can obtain to the resurrection from the dead. So Christ couldn't raise from the dead unless he died, you know? And we can't, certainly can't obtain to the resurrection from the dead unless we die. So in the spiritual sense, in the, at the end of times, or at the end of our days, we need to be conformed to his likeness, his reasoning, his thought. We need to be like him. We need to surrender to him so that when we die, we obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Right? But we also, while we're living in this world today, we want to have our mind conformed to his death so that we can think like him, so that we can preach the resurrection from the dead. Right? We have to take it and embrace it and have it become part of us before we can actually live it and share it. Okay? So... He wants to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. And now we're going to move into this next section. In verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Now, this is, this is really great. This is a, a great encouragement for us, right? Because here Paul, and we know who Paul is, and, and we look back in hindsight, and we've got the scriptures, and we've read, and we, we know that, like I said, at this point, we're looking at somewhere in probably 63, something A.D., that this was being written. Somewhere in that time frame, uh, Paul's conversion was close to, you know, one after, you know, shortly after Christ's ministry ended on earth. So we're talking 30 years. You know, Paul, Paul's got 30 years of, of walking with the Lord here, meeting with the Lord early on, his wilderness experience with him, and then all these missionary journeys that he's been on. And, and we, we know all that Paul has done up to this point. And he says, not that I've already attained. I'm not perfected. <laughs> it's like, Wow. That's a pretty big statement, right? It means we all have a long ways to go. None of us have attained. None of us have been perfected. We all have, to, we all have a, a, a goal in mind, and we have to continue on. But Paul also, when, he, when he's writing his epistles, not, and not all of them, but, but in many of his epistles, he starts them off with a, a, a phrase that he uses quite oftenly. He says, Paul and Apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, right? 
not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Now, Paul understands because he opens up you know, a lot of his epistles with he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He knows what God's will is for his life. And all these things that Paul has done in these missionary journeys that he has been on and preaching the gospel and all that he went through, the beatings, the sufferings, the times of great and dire need that he went through, he said he counted them as nothing, that he may have attained Christ. But he says, not that I've already protected, I've been perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He knows that this was his call. This is what God called him to be. I am calling you to be apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He knew that. He knew that. But he, he says, I press on. I press on. And why does he have to press on? Because it's always easy, right? It's always a really easy thing to do. You know, I mean, you think about our lives compared to Paul's life. You think, think of what he went through for, to accomplish the will of God. Very, very difficult circumstances. But he presses on, presses on, presses on, presses on. That take, took great diligence for him to do that. Great, just, you know, this mindset and this, this controlling of his will to conform his will into what God's will is. I'm pressing on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Paul knew this is what Christ Jesus laid hold of him for. And he's going to press on and he's going to go all the way to the end. I am not going to stop. I haven't apprehended. I'm not perfected. I am pressing on that I may do God's will. That was Paul's mindset when he wrote this. And, it, and then it made me think, where is our mindset in general as an individual? Okay? And, I, and I, I, to myself as well as to every one of us. Paul wrote, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Can you answer that question for yourself? Can you say, I know that this is what God's purpose is for my life? Because I can tell you that you can't lay hold of it and you can't press on towards it if you don't know what it is. When, we're, when we were referencing that, that, um, that text in Ephesians 4, when Christ ascended and he gave gifts to men. Shortly after that, he said, and some were called to be apostles. Some were called to be, uh, before that, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, teachers. So that, that's the list that he gives right there. It's not obviously all-inclusive, but he called some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And he goes on and he says, for the equipping of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of God giving gifts to men. He's called each and every one of us to a certain purpose. 
right? So, but, it, but it's for the edification of the body. And, and if we go to Second First Corinthians, sorry, chapter twelve, it talks about that God has given these gifts to every every person for the edification of the body. Now, all can't be called to be apostles. All can't be called to be prophets. All can't be called to be evangelists. All can't, be, you know, we can't all be the same thing. We all have to be different parts of the body. What would what would the body be if there were no eyes? What would the body be if there were no ears? It's all, the body all works together for the purpose of edifying the rest of the body. Okay, you can go back and read that later if you'd like in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So the question is, what, and we have to ask, everybody, we all have to ask ask this to ourselves. What has God called me? What is God's will in my life? What has he called me to do? Because if you don't know, if you have no idea what God's will is for your life, if you've never asked the question and say, God, what's your purpose for me? I mean, first off, you don't, you really probably have a, a, a sense of some lacking because you don't know what God's purpose is for you. You know, what is my purpose in life, right? But if you don't know what it is, how can you possibly lay hold of it? You can't lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of you for, or for which he's laid hold of you. You can't, you can't do it. You can't, obtain to, you can't obtain to your fullness, your fullness of what Christ has called you to be. I, I mean, it's pretty much as simple as that. He, he knows what, it was, what his will was in his life. He knows that he hasn't obtained it. He knows he hasn't been perfected, but he presses on because he knows that God has laid hold of him for this purpose, and he's going to, he wants to lay hold of what God has laid hold of him to complete. Amen? So I think, you know, part of what we're going to do tonight, or what I, I, I would suggest, is that when, when we pause to take communion, if you don't know, if you really have no idea, what, why, God, why did you call me? What is your purpose for my life? And, I mean, it can be many things. I mean, it could, you know, we, it's all for the edification of the body, Right? But, you, I mean, you're called to be a husband, a wife, a brother, a um, Sunday school teacher, a nursery worker, uh, a deacon, uh, cleaning the church, uh, cleaning the nursery. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a multitude of things that happen in the body of Christ. It could be an encouragement. Some, some are given gifts of administration. Some are given gifts of healing. Some, but all these things are to get, that work together for the edification of the body. And so we have to, I think we have to get to a point where we say, God, what is it? What is your purpose for me? Because he has a purpose for you. Do you believe he has a purpose for you? He has to have. I mean, you have to believe that. God has a purpose for you. You're not just supposed to be, well, I'm just sitting here as my Christian, happy old life, and I'm not doing anything. A purposeless Christian. We could write a book on that. Let's call it the purposeless Christian. There's no such thing. There's absolutely no such thing. And it's it's almost hilarious, right? (laughs) God has a purpose for you. Ask what God's purpose is for you, and then press on and lay hold of it. That's the point. Amen? And then he goes on and he says in verse 13, Brethren, 
I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, brethren, I, I do not count myself as apprehended. But one thing I do, one thing I do, Paul's telling you, one thing that he does is I forget about the things that are behind me. Because the, the enemy, he wants to do what? Hey, hey, I, 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 am, I am really serious about this. I'm really going to I'm really going to seek the Lord on this, and I really want to find out, God, what is your purpose for my life? I want, to, I want to lay hold of that. I really want to lay hold of that. And in comes the enemy. <laughs> you? <laughs> really? You're a complete failure. I mean, when have you ever accomplished anything for good? I mean, look at your life. Isn't that? Isn't that I mean, Paul dealt with that. I got I got to put all the stuff behind me. I mean, think about the stuff that Paul had to put behind him. I, I lay all these things. I forget about those things that are behind me, and he reaches forward to the things that are ahead. So, does this remind you of the the text from Second Corinthians five seventeen? If any man is in Christ, he is a a new creation. Old things have. <laughs> They're passed away, passed away. And you think about that. That means they're dead. They're gone. Old things have passed away, yet all things become new, right? And, and then he goes on to say that, that God, through Christ Jesus, performed a reconciliation in our lives between God and man. And not only did he perform this reconciliation between God and man, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So I can tell you that's one of your purposes right there, because it says so, <laughs> all right? It says he's given us the, the, you know, the ministry of, of reconciliation, and that can, be, that can come in many different forms. That can, that can be helping somebody out or helping a brother or a sister out or a couple out or, or whatever, or helping somebody through um, a broken relationship uh, between whatever, you know, parents and children or whatever. Um, but he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. This reconciliation comes by what Christ has done for us. So there's one thing. Put all these things behind me. I forget about those things that are behind, and I am reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, where's Paul right when he's writing this? And what's he doing? He's, he's looking forward to what? The things that lie ahead. Paul says, now you think about, again, think about all that Paul has gone through. What has Paul has brought to this point? All the things and accomplishments that he has, of course, they're all, you know, well, through Christ, they're all good, right? But anything that's done in his flesh is nothing. It's worthless, right? But all the things that Paul has accomplished, and he says, there's more. I'm looking forward to the things that are ahead. There's more. <laughs> He's writing this from prison, Right? There's more, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more that lies ahead. I'm pressing forward to those things which are ahead. I'm not concentrating on what's behind. And when a Satan comes in and you start really trying to figure out what your purpose is in Christ and you really want to lay hold of that and you want to start going, I guarantee you, you're going to be hearing from the enemy. Lay those things behind. One thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward, I'm going to press forward to lay hold of what Christ has laid hold of me. 
And I'm going to look forward to those things that lie ahead. Can you, can you see the conforming of the mind? Can you see the transforming of the mind being renewed? It's just amazing what Paul is saying here. And he says, in 14, he says, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. He presses towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. The prize is laying hold of what Christ has laid hold of you, for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of you. That's one of the prizes you get. It's like, you want a prize? Figure out what God's will is for your life. Lay hold of it and press on. And look, always look forward to what's ahead. That's the prize. He's looking forward. That's Paul's mindset. I am going to look forward to the goal, the prize of the upward call of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, Therefore, let us, as many are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that you have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So therefore, as many of us are mature, have this mind, this mind that he was just, we've just talked about. And if any of you think otherwise, God's going to reveal it to you. So God, God will change. He'll change your mind if you think that there's, you know, God's not going to, doesn't have this purpose for you and this, 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 a will for your life that is an actual prize to obtain it, to lay hold of it, to press on, to keep it, to keep working. That is a prize. That's a prize. Prizes are usually good, right? <laughs> I got a prize. I want a prize, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, let us have this mind. If anything in you think other, if any, if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the, degree, to the degree with which we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So now everybody's in a different place, right? Some people have progressed further in their walk with the Lord. Some are more mature than others. Some might be babies, right? But God has a purpose. To the, the extent that you have already have obtained, let us all walk together with the same mind. What is the same mind? Hmm? The mind of Christ. Mm, it is. Okay, if you go back to verse or chapter two. Paul's talking about unity, remember that? And in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore, if, is a, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if there is any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. And then let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So Paul is, Paul is concluding this section here of this text 
with nevertheless to the degree that we have already obtained, at least we know one thing. We need to walk in the unity of the Spirit. We need to have the same, this mind of Christ that says, I need to esteem others. I need to, I need to have this love for people. I need to have love for the brethren so that so I, can, I can esteem them up and I can raise them up. Maybe, maybe, I can, you, maybe, God, you can even use me. Maybe you can use me to help this person. Maybe you can, to somehow, whatever, to encourage them, to lift them up. Maybe, maybe I'll help them find their purpose. And maybe I can encourage them when they're going through a time of trouble or a time when they're kind of down or they're depressed or maybe they've gotten off the track. And maybe I can help them and bring them back on and say, man, I know you. This is what God has laid hold of you for. Press on. Press on. This is the prize that Christ has for you. And there's more that lies ahead. There's more that lies ahead. And, and we know all the things that Paul accomplished after he got out, right? He, he accomplished many more things. You can go through the text and read, but you, you think about this. Paul is only, at this point in time, he's only a few short years away from the end of his life, right? He goes off on, a, we believe he goes off on another journey, missionary journey after this, but then he gets rearrested and eventually, right, gets... Uh, gets martyred for his faith. And even with that, he says, I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. Finally, there's laid up for me this crown of righteousness. But not for me only, for all you who love his appearing. Even at the moment of his death, he's saying, press on, press on, press on. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. The things of this world, Paul counted them as rubbish. If we get caught up in the things of this world, man, we, the world will get a grip on us and it will squeeze the life out of us. It just will. It always does. It always will. We need to have the mindset of Christ. Lord, what is your purpose for my life? What would you have me to do? And could you show me? And strengthen me so that I may lay hold of that for which you have laid hold of me. So tonight, I would just pray as we take this time, uh, the next, whatever, 20 minutes or so, however long it takes, to spend this time in communion with the Lord. It, I'm not saying this is the only thing we have to talk about or you have to talk to the Lord about, um, but I certainly think it's something, because I think there are a lot of us that and maybe struggle with, you know, knowing what God's will is for our lives. And, and even, even, you know, some God has maybe called you to do a certain thing and you've been doing it for a long time and maybe you get, maybe you get burnout on it, you know, or, or you're thinking, wow, is this still what I'm really supposed to be doing? And, you know, and you kind of get a little discouraged in laying hold of that or keeping or pressing on. Um, you know, God will reveal to you what he has for you and he'll strengthen you in it. And, and, and he'll remind you that, yeah, this is what I laid hold of you for. And, and he'll encourage you. And so, you know, whatever it is, I, like I said, this is just what the Lord laid on my heart tonight um, as I was going through this text. But I'm certain that he has got a purpose for each and every one of our lives. And, and, and it's, you know, you're going to press on, press on, because it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get discouraged. But God will speak to you. I guarantee you he will. 
He'll speak to you through his word. He'll speak to you through prayer. He'll speak to you through other people. And he'll remind you through that. that this, this is what I called you. This is what I called you to do. Don't give up. Press on. Amen? So we're going to take time now. We're going to spend some time in communion. Um, I don't know if all of you, I know most of you have been here for communions in the, our communion service in the past. Um, if you haven't been here for a communion service in the past, we do not pass the elements out uh, and take them as a group. What we will do is we will uh, dim the lights. Darren will put on some soft music in the background. You just spend some time in prayer uh, seeking the Lord and um, remembering what he is. Obviously, we're here to remember what he did for us, right? We want to be conformed to his death so that we may attain to the resurrection. Uh, that, that's what we're here for. Um, so we remember what he has done for us. I give him thanks and praise. And, and when you feel comfortable, when you come to the point where it's like, okay, Lord, it's, it's my turn to come up and to partake of the bread and, and the wine as representations of his blood and his shed blood and his broken body. Uh, and then you commune with the Lord on your own. So that's what we'll do. Amen? Okay, Lord, we just thank you as always as we come before you. Lord, as we hear from your word and we're encouraged by it. Uh, Lord, I just pray that nobody here would be discouraged by maybe not knowing what their call is and that maybe they haven't got a clear indication from you, Lord, or don't know what it is. Uh, uh, but, Lord, um, I just pray that this would be a time where you would encourage us in what your calling is for each of our lives. And, Lord, that we would truly take hold of it, that we would grasp hold of it, and that we would run with endurance uh, to, the, to the end, Lord, and, and just be encouraged by the, the things that you're doing in each of our lives. And, and, God, how could we not be encouraged by the fact that we bow our heads and our hearts before a loving God who would give the king that would give his son for our reconciliation. Hmm. We, there's just a, a volume that we could just sit and, and meditate on in that alone. Giving you thanks and giving you praise. But touch our hearts, Lord, and draw us near. Reveal your will for each of us in our lives. Thank you, Lord. In your precious name, amen.